0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of food. And I just want to open up this episode with a quote. It's by Bill Gates. And he said, What I just tasted is not just a clever meat substitute. What I just tasted was the future of food. And that was when he tried the first faux chicken Dish by Beyond, uh, Beyond Meat, the Beyond company. Meats, yeah. So we're going to get all into these companies that are creating lab-grown meat and creating a lot of good in the world as a side effect or maybe as part of, part of their core mission. Mm. But before that, I want to talk more generally about three main areas which we'll cover on today's episode. So I want to talk about the future of food as it's related to health, So what is actually healthy for us to be eating, not taking anything else into consideration? The environment. So if we're just optimizing for the environment, what's the best way that we can eat and how can new technologies allow us to do this? And Mm -hmm. morality. So how can we minimize suffering and maximize happiness and what does that mean for the food industries, factory farms, all of those sorts of things? So starting off with health, First, I want to just get Justin's take on this. So, How do you view food? Do you take some of these environmental moral implications into uh, the food that you eat? And also, what what have you found to be a healthy way of of eating and, and a healthy way of consuming food for you?
1: Yeah, so I try to consider as much as possible when eating my food. I'm actually one of those people that's really nitpicky about what he eats. So I, I like to eat, because I'm not a vegan, and I'm not really dogmatic in terms of any particular type of diet, but I do eat meat, and I try to eat real food, and that's basically it. I try to stray away. As... And what do you mean by real food? So any, anything that might have had cells, like living cells, in the past several weeks, mm. for example. So processed food like crackers definitely weren't any living cells in those crackers for a very long time. And they've gone through a lot of stages mm-hmm. before they have been processed. And that's just kind of a rule of thumb. That's not necessarily like a sort of health or guaranteed health guideline. But I find it to be a good way to eat real food and stray as far away as possible from the standard American diet. Um, which is very proven to be a terrible diet for Mm -hmm. basically anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, when I'm eating meat, I like to eat grass fed meat or if I can get a hold of venison that was hunted by, you know, a deer that lived a full life out in the wild, that's ideal to have some, some meat that was, that had a life that wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know crammed up against some other cows or, you know, some other, some other animal, basically eating other animals' feces because it doesn't have enough space to even walk, you know, it's just really disgusting what some of the, um, factory farms do these days. But anyways, long story short, I just try to stray away from that as much as possible. Um, but in terms of what I think is healthy, that's a hard question. Um, I think there's so many diets that are the complete opposite of one another that seem to work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, for example, veg- if you move from a standard American diet to a vegan diet, you're almost 100% guaranteed to feel a thousand percent better. You know, it, it's unreal how much of a benefit you can have by going from standard American to vegan. Now, is vegan the most healthy diet? There's a lot of science that says no, you probably need a lot more nutrients that aren't available in real food in a vegan diet. So sure yeah. you can have a vegan diet where you're supplementing very heavily, but it would be easier to just, you know, eat meat every once in a while or like a liver or you know, shrimp, some sort of seafood, you know, it's not that hard.
0: Yeah. Well, I I want to push back on that a little bit because I tried going vegetarian for about nine months almost a year and i was close to vegan i wasn't totally vegan because i did still have greek yogurt sometimes Mm -hmm. but and initially i did feel good i felt like i was more alert and i felt like i could get a lot of work done i noticed that i had to snack a lot more throughout the day A, a meal wouldn't tide me over for as long but over the months over you know, the many months of doing this, by the end of the the nine months, I had lost a lot of weight and I got really sick. And Mm -hmm. after my sickness, my mom was like, just, you know, eat a burger or... (laughs) And so I ate some meat and I felt immediately better. And Uh I've just, I think for my own body, I have found that meat is something that's, I mean, maybe I didn't eat the proper vegan diet maybe i didn't have yeah. as many of the different nutrients and that's probably re- that's probably true but for my own self i would like to be vegetarian or vegan from a moral standpoint and an environmental standpoint but what mm-hmm. i've found for myself is that it's it's not what makes me feel the healthiest
1: yeah and what's kind of Oh, so it's a little backwards some of the moral arguments for veganism because if, if you're being – if you're a vegan and you're eating – I mean there's factory farming for plants. It's not just for um, meat or any sort of uh, livestock. But if you're a vegan and you eat anything wheat-based or corn-based, you're one piece of corn – there's definitely dead mammals like ground nesting birds, you've got uh, chipmunks, gophers, all of these little animals that are living in a field, those are getting killed by the tractors that come and try to grade up all of this stuff and process the corn or the wheat. And I think there's just a disconnect between the fact that you're eating the thing that's dead, you know, you're eating a piece of meat that seems less moral than eating a whole bunch of plants, which might be responsible for just as much death. Now, again, I think it's still better morally to eat a vegan diet, but it's not necessarily like the ideal moral diet. The ideal right. moral diet is there's no death, no suffering. So, I, you know, you could bring in a totally – other aspect of food and think about how you can grow food more or grow plants more ethically not just how can we uh, grow meats more ethically
0: right well i want to stay on on health first and there's certainly a lot that i have to say about the moral implications as well Mm -hmm. but as far as what we think to be healthy uh, you mentioned the the typical american diet and i feel like the typical american diet is still very much the food pyramid that we saw in elementary school, which (laughs) is funny that because it's almost like you could invert that pyramid and it would be more accurate than the way (laughs) the pyramid currently is. I feel like that with that pyramid, it was more just describing what people do eat versus what they should eat. Yeah. It's not like you should just mostly have grains and then, like, just have a little bit of, like, proteins and, like, you know, a little bit of uh, veggies. I mean, certainly we, they both got the sugar is bad part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, so as far as what your diet is, I think what you were saying earlier is spot on, where that it's, it's really about the person. Certain diets work for, for certain people. Um, and it I'll,
1: depends on what your goal is. Yeah. So do you want to build muscle or do you want to be an endurance athlete or do you just want to have a healthy functioning brain and body? You know, it it depends. Oh, yeah,
0: totally. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, as a as a guy who does a lot of athletics, I've tried to eat as much protein and veggies as I can and I try to keep grains to a minimum. I keep dairy to a minimum, although I really like yogurt um, and you know, lots of fruits as well. And I think that's pretty good for, for, for you know, athletic males as much as you can say anything generally. But for, you know, my wife, for instance, she has a lot more dairies and, you know, a lot mm-hmm. more f- fatty foods. And I feel like for her body that makes more sense and it actually is a good diet for, for her. so it, And then my sister is a vegan and she has incredible endurance and can do incredible things in yoga and seems to, you know, be healthy. So I think for her, veganism does work.
1: Yeah. And so I have a lot of issues with the way science about diets is being done because you have all of these people that are purporting these next big diets that are going to solve everything. But a lot of studies related to nutrition is done in either healthy or unhealthy white males like it's not a very diverse Mm -hmm. group and i know it's changing more now but all the science that we hear about now has been in the literature for a very long time like we haven't learned anything new that's mainstream for you know maybe five ten years i know there's you know some people on the cutting edge but there's, there's not that much new stuff that wasn't known a while ago, except for maybe the ketogenic diet or something.
0: Right. Yeah, I feel like the best practice is to pretty much become your own scientist with your own body. And mm-hmm. that's one thing that any nutritionist will tell you. I mean, they told my sister, when my sister had some stomach problems, they had her basically write down the foods she was eating for each mm-hmm. meal, and how she felt after each meal. And By doing this for several weeks, she figured out, oh, these certain foods do not make me feel good. These certain foods are okay. So maybe cheese is good for you, whereas maybe it upsets someone else's stomach. Mm -hmm. And then another tip that I've heard from Scott Adams, he says that once you figure out what is healthy food for you, the best thing you can do is to make it as convenient as possible. Mm -hmm. So if you if you you know you're lazy you're on the couch watching TV and you open up the fridge and you have some carrots in ranch or some apples and peanut butter and you don't have any you know any granola bars which are basically glorified candy bars or anything like <laughs> yeah. that then you're going to be healthier because that's a better system
1: yeah yeah and it's crazy too that we have giant companies like Coca-Cola being one of the biggest brands in the U.S. Or probably the world, and it's probably one of the companies that's causing the most harm when it comes to health.
0: It's terrible. Yeah. It,
1: it really makes me sick that you know something something so bad for the general public is so glorified.
0: Yeah, and it's just because yeah. they have such good branding and marketing.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> they do have awesome marketing, but it it just it's yeah. that's just one of those cases of incentives not being aligned. Like if if the incentive was for companies to create the best and the healthiest products, then they would, you know, yeah. if that, that's how the incentives lined up. Well,
0: that, that reminds me of the famous Steve Jobs quote when he was going to hire the president, the new president of Apple, you know, right before he got ousted. And he, it was the, I forget his name, but it was, he was the CEO of Pepsi at the time. And the guy was like, well, I don't know, I make so much money at Pepsi, I got this really, (laughs) really cushy bonus structure, you know, I don't know. And then Steve Jobs just looks at him with his famous glare and he says, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? (laughs) I love that because just like you said, the incentive structure is so backwards. It's like our society values someone Pushing sugar water to billions of people every day instead of helping uh, helping the planet through renewable energy or finding ways to create better farming practices that lead to better uh, well-being yeah. of
1: animals. Yeah, dude. It, I mean, it's there's some good things too, though. I mean, there are there's definitely a push to people realizing, oh wait, sugar's probably not that good yeah we should probably do something and
0: good. I kind of feel like it's the same thing as you know like I, I have the same stance on sugar as I do on cigarettes or on lottery tickets which mm-hmm. is that for some people if you're having a stressful day and you need to go get a cupcake at sprinkles or if you need to go you know have a have a cigarette or if you're if playing the lottery takes the stress off of your day like, that's fine. I'm not, like, who am I to tell you that you shouldn't be doing that? It's really just mm-hmm. when you do it in excess that can right. can really be bad for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's hard, hard where to figure out where to draw the line there. Like, when when do you, as a government, for example, intervene on somebody making all the wrong choices when it comes to health? You know, yeah. if, if a government is in charge of health care, it's in their best interest to not let... Citizens get out of hand in terms right. of their health. Right. Well, I
0: mean, now people pay higher premiums if they lead unhealthy lifestyles. So there, yeah. there is. But it's it's mostly for cigarette smokers. I mean, that even under Obamacare, which protects pre-existing conditions, the one thing it does not protect is whether or not you're a smoker. Um, but it would be better if if it extended even further where. If you made all of the best health decisions, you would get better better premiums mm-hmm. and i mean it, it's a tough situation because you could also make the case for universal health care which which i'm a proponent of in general, but yeah
1: as long as it's done correctly i mean there's there's a yeah. lot of ways to mess up universal health care
0: right and then the, the so the final other thing I want to just mention as it relates to health with food is the fear or the risk of antibiotic fed animals oh, yeah. creating superbugs potentially because you hear a lot about this so on the animal side you're you're basically having them in these horrible conditions i mean one thing if as a as a metaphor it would be like if you lived your entire life in an elevator with nine other people and that's not an exaggeration that is literally what it would be like and you don't have, you don't really have bathrooms either. You have, you know, some slits in the ground, but imagine what that life would be like. And then imagine the solution is just getting chocked full of antibiotics constantly. That is the perfect festering ground for some super bug to come out of nowhere. And we've had some of them. We've had mad cow. We've had that, the bird flu we've had, but they've all been relatively controlled, but there's
1: because they, we've had strong enough antibiotics.
0: Right, but there's no reason to think that that'll go on forever. And then on the on the veg, vegetable and grain side, my mom is, you know, my mom's a gardener and so she's all about organic farm to table stuff. She always talks about how horrible the companies like Monsanto are where oh, okay. they give you genetically engineered Grains and vegetables, fertilizers. Yeah, and basically, these are not able to reproduce. So, the typical way that, as my mom would say, God intended is that you have these seeds and then they grow to be plants and they germinate more seeds, and it's the cycle of life. But with these genetically engineered seeds, they create plants, but then they can no longer germinate. And it creates a competitive advantage for companies like Monsanto because they they have to keep buying the seeds from them.
1: Yeah, Um, it's a disgusting business model. Yeah, Similar to like opioids. You know, it's it's almost like somebody is making opioids on purpose just to make money at the cost of society.
0: Totally. And that's why you see these high-end vegetables, like such as heirloom tomatoes, or, you know, or, uh, you know, in Mexico, the blue corn tortilla chips, because these are these are seeds and plants that have come from the very beginnings of planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And they've come all the way down until now, and they haven't been messed with. So I think it's going to be really important for our own health to make sure that we continue with the natural way of doing things, because that's the yeah. most that's the our best bet against Um, any sort of biological uh, diseases
1: it's almost always a bad idea to go against the system that was put in place by whatever you want to call it mother nature god some sort of you know whatever biology has created and evolution has created you should probably not try to stray away from that too much yeah, I, mean, I mean, humans many, are pretty addictive. How many adaptive. Greek
0: tragedies have to be written before we realize that hubris <laughs> is going to be our downfall and we can't play God and expect everything to turn out better than if we had left what is God's to God? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. That's, yeah. that's hard. So anyways, let's go on to the second topic. So that's health as far as the future of food is concerned. Now let's talk about the environment. So obviously there is massive pollution created from the process of growing food, specifically growing meat, because there's basically oh. a 10 to one energy loss. So for every calorie of corn that you give a cow or whatever, uh, or, sorry, for every 10 calories of vegetable, it, it, it can only create one calorie of meat. So there's enormous yeah. lo- and energy loss. and. That same loss is, I think, from, uh, I mean, it's even worse for animals like cows. I think the best ones are like chickens.
1: I think goats are, uh, maybe it's not goats. Chickens, I know, are really good.
0: Yeah, And, and then, you know, all the things that you consider, it's not just growing the animals and feeding them throughout their life. It's also the methane that they produce and other, you know, so basically from cows burping and farting, they create so much methane that if they were a country, they would be the third largest methane-producing country in the world. Oh my That's how many yeah. cows there are. And it, I think there's something like a billion chickens killed every year. Um, it's insane. So, I mean, just the scale of how much pollution is being created by these animals and also by transporting them by preserving them, you know, yeah. shipping them on big steam liners, refrigerating them at the grocery store. There there's so much being uh, you know, being done to the environment that we have to we have to seriously consider how do we plan to feed 10 billion people by the year 2050 because that's that's the number we're looking at.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that also gets overlooked when it comes to the waste of you know, uh, raising meat, or even even just regular uh, factory farming of vegetables, you waste something like I think farms waste about or use about seventy percent of annual fresh fresh water usage on you know all of their various. Oh things. yeah, it's a huge percentage, and. A lot of it is just wasted because there's not a good way to, for example, target you know some some plants need more water than others. and this is becoming a little bit better now with precision farming. So you have these drones that can kind of tell which plants need to uh, get a little more water. so they'll go in like precision they'll go precisely uh, put the amount of water that they that this specific plant needs or the this amount of fertilizer. Um, the fertilizer thing is a little, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we could go down, but, mm. um, that's definitely not good for the environment. Yeah. With, I, I, with I like remember in the, up.
0: in the California water drought, all the price of almonds went way up because apparently almonds take, it takes so much water to grow and avocados are another big, big, mm-hmm. uh, consumer of water.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really hard out there too, because there's no rain and it's so dry.
0: Yeah. And the and the other thing that I think people don't realize is that there are huge subsidies that the government has in place for farmers. I mean, you hear so much uh, on any campaign trail about how we need to protect our farmers. We got to get farmers. There's always these emotional propositions that are put on that will help farmers, and and that doesn't take into consideration the fact that there's probably more people work who worked at Sears before it got shut down than actual farmers nowadays. So it's it's more of just like a harkening back to the good old days kind of persuasion mm-hmm. tactic. But we're giving the US government gives 38 billion dollars in subsidies to the farming industry each year. So on top of the actual costs and pollution that's that's coming out of this, there's a lot of money going into it as well.
1: Yeah, and, that's always a bad, bad way to create misincentives or misaligned incentives.
0: Totally, and and as far as how much greenhouse gases are created, so people tend to think of cars and power plants as the main producers of of uh, pollution, but factory farming actually causes more greenhouse gas emissions than all cars, trains, planes boats and any other wow. modes of transportation combined.
1: That's crazy. It doesn't help that creating all this farmland is cutting down forests and right. using up a huge percentage of usable land mass or land area.
0: It's, totally.
1: It's just a, it's a really um, terrible cycle. It's almost a snowball that it's going to be hard to slow down or stop unless we do something... Relatively soon, and the other thing with these fertilizers is, and these Monsanto's super-engineered plants, is they leach all the nutrients out of the soil, mm. and the soil over time loses its fertility. Mm-hmm. So 50 years from now, most of our farmland, or maybe not most, but a decent chunk of farmland, might not even be usable for farmland anymore because all the nutrients are gone. So unless some sort of preservation is a preservation tactic is taken we're going to lose even our farmland because of the tactics that are currently used by some farmers
0: yeah and you know climate change is also going to make a lot of farmland um not usable also going for going forward yeah and and if you
1: think of if you think of the climate change as just more so a lot of people think of climate change as like it getting warmer or cooler but what a lot of people overlook is the fact that it creates the and this is what I think you were getting at is it creates these super storms like if you mm. think of the a probability distribution of the you know the the probability that some super storm hurricane typhoon and all these things take place the the climate Changing in the way that everyone says climate change it just it can shift over that probability on the tails like the far tails just a little bit increasing the chances of you know category five hurricanes by double that yeah. it just. I don't know, I could go down a rabbit hole in right. climate change too. but
0: and, and all this is happening while not only is the population of the world expanding exponentially, so I, I said earlier, we're projected to have 10 billion people by the year 2050, which is a huge increase from 7 billion people now, And when you think about just the percentage scale of that. And not only are there going to be an additional however many billion people by then, they also the the quality of living is improving which is generally a good thing people Mm the you know there are more people who are able to own a car and to have electricity have running water start eating more meat you know people think about all the people in asia who traditionally have just lived on rice now they're going to be able to eat you know more chicken and add pork and fish to their diet And all of this is good on an individual level. But when you tally it all up, it means a lot more pollution and a lot more suffering for for the animals. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into a little bit more of morality. And then after that, we should talk about what some of the solutions are, which I think to a large extent are going to be forward-thinking companies like Memphis Meats and Beyond Meat. Mm -hmm. So as far as the morality, I think one thing that, people get wrong all the time is this is we treat animal suffering or animal conscious experiences as this unknowable nebulous phenomenon that, that when really it's like, Oh, how do I know that my dog loves me? You just know it. I mean, you look at, it's, it's like, I don't, it's, uh, it's not a mystery that animals, can feel the same things that we do and the other thing to consider is that we our brains evolved from the same exact ancestors that a lot of these animals that all of the animals have Mm -hmm. evolved from our nervous systems are, are pretty much identical as far as their component parts it's just the way that they're constructed that's that's different and if you you know if you have a like if you have a mouse and you electrocute it every time it comes out of its hole, guess what? It's going to have an anxiety disorder. And then if you give that mouse Xanax, it's going to chill out and it's going to come out of its hole and explore. That's why we test mice for drugs first to see if they work on humans. It's precisely because our biology is so similar. Yeah.
1: And it's it's especially similar to mice in a lot of cases.
0: Right. So I think the question is, is not even a valid question of can animals experience suffering? Do they oh. really have empathy for one another? Are they really, you know, do they want to live? Like, like, so that's,
1: that's almost like asking, that's like saying, oh, does this person over here experience pain? Yeah. Of course they do. Like there's, they're living just because you aren't them and you can't feel exactly how they feel doesn't mean that they can't feel joy happiness pain suffering you know it I think it's basically a synonymous question
0: yeah I mean I watched this video on Instagram the other day that was this cow who was playing in a field and the owner or you know I don't know if it was the owner but some person had this bouncy ball you know like a like size of a soccer ball and was throwing it, and the cow was galloping after it and bringing it back to the human in the very same way that a dog would play fetch, and yet we kill all of these cows every year, slaughter them in these incredibly inhumane ways. You know, same thing with pigs. A lot of people have pet fit pet pigs, including Ariana Grande, and other, you know, but we still kill these pigs, and uh, another stat that was just amazing to me is that the average amount of surface area that a hen has to lay eggs is smaller than the surface area of a sheet of paper? It's, wow. it's like it's like a little more than two thirds the size of a standard eight, eight and a half by 11 piece of printer paper for its entire for life. That's not the even factory an, farm. In, in, that's the me? industry standard in factory wow. farms. That's like if you go to and you know if you go to Walmart or whatever and you buy some chicken breast and you're like oh five bucks nice, that's what you're eating.
1: Yeah, this this chicken that's lived a super anxious life, filled with antibiotics, filled with adrenaline. You know, it just the composition of the meat is different when it's coming from someone that was given steroids to build its muscle because it doesn't actually build the muscle naturally because it doesn't have enough room to do anything to build muscle. Yeah, right. it's just kind of gross how the whole industry works. It
0: is. And and the the rule of thumb that I use for my own cuz I'm a meat eater. So a lot of this sounds hi- hypocritical where I'm talking against against meat, but the my own personal rule is that if an animal has more happiness than suffering in its own life then i think that animal's life was worth living Mm -hmm. but for most factory farm animals they certainly experience more suffering than happiness you know is there any happiness i mean there Well, I mean, look, there are some really good farms out there. I mean, Kobe beef and what, you know, like there are. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They do exist, but I'm just
0: saying the vast majority are not. And that's why personally, I don't care where the meat is from. I will not eat lamb or veal no matter what, because the specific practices of lamb and veal is they want it to be as tender as possible. So they even go the extra mile to limit their movements and they kill them before they even achieve uh adulthood which i think is just really robbing them of 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 a lot yeah i didn't know
1: that i knew that about veal i didn't yeah lamb is meant
0: to be really tender and it's a lot of the same practices and they they're killed at about the same age as as veal so i'll never eat either either of those unless you know maybe there is some farm that does it really well and i know it's from that farm even then i think it's just not cool to to kill An an adolescent, like, and and like you know, most of the cows that they have that they get milk from, the it's it's pretty terrible because they're not you know they basically they have the cows, um, you know they like keep the the their kids near the cow, and that will make it produce more milk, but then they take them away. So that they aren't like distracted from producing milk. And it's like, I mean, imagine a human parallel of that where it's like you're, you know, you have kids, you're all excited and then your kids get taken from you and you're never able to see them. And you're just in this gestation bin where you all you can do is just get like pumped out of.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's it's so messed up.
0: So I want to get to now what the solution is. I think we've talked enough about how terrible it is. And you know, anyone yeah. can watch food Inc or any of the number of documentaries that talk about how terrible it is. And I think most people realize how horrible factory farm animals are treated.
1: Yeah. And I will reiterate that it's not just meat. It is vegetables as well. Vegetables are not produced very ethically. I mean, it it's not directly killing something for its meat, but it's killing a lot of things as a byproduct of creating these vegetables. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about how we'll actually solve this problem.
0: Yeah, so so the company that is most impressive and interesting to me is Memphis Meats. And I Same. originally learned about this company from Steve Jurvetson who's a venture capitalist and he invested in SpaceX and Tesla and Facebook and all sorts of amazing startups. And this is one of his more recent investments. And Memphis Meats actually started off as a company that would basically, I don't know if you would call it 3D print, but they would basically create an organ for you as a replacement. So let's say you have a liver disease and you know you're going to need a liver replacement rather than waiting for someone who has the same blood type as you to be willing to donate and all of that, or a relative or whatever, you can actually use your exact DNA to grow an exact replica of your liver, which will your body will have a much higher chance of taking and incorporating it into your body than it would if you just took it from some other person. Also, you don't have to create the suffering of that other person if they're alive I mean you know if they're dead in an organ donor I guess it's a different question but anyways this is how the company started but then they realized well this is actually a much more difficult problem than the problem of growing meat for consumption in the form of food mm-hmm. because when you're creating a liver specifically for your body you don't have a whole lot of margin for error but when you're creating a steak you know even yeah. if it's not exactly identical to the cow that it came from it's still going to be you know delicious steak it's going to not re- not have any animal suffering involved at all it's not yeah. going to be needed to be transported anywhere and it's not going to have any of the the chemical si- you know side effects yeah. of of being slaughtered and and, goods, or antibiotics uh... so so I thought this was brilliant, and some people are very skeptical. They call it Franken meat or lab-grown meat, but the, the people who are behind who like the idea call it clean meat because yeah. that's really what it is. It's clean from all of the other horrible things that most meat come come along with.
1: Yeah, and so I would consider myself among one of the people who probably I wouldn't cons- I wouldn't go as far as saying I'm a skeptic, but I would say that I probably won't be an early adopter of eating their meat like as, on a regular basis. I mean, I'd try it. It's not like it's going to kill you. But since there's so little research about what is actually nutritious in food, I would I would want to see some sort of longer term studies on you know, people eating these, these meats, is there a difference in the meat you eat that didn't actually live a full life? Is there some sort of, some sort of, um, energy that you can, you know, this might sound a little crazy, but is, is there something that we can't quantify yet that we get when we eat something that was living? But I mean, this might just be like eating processed meat, like a cracker instead of wheat that just came out of, the or uh rice that just came out of the rice field.
0: Yeah, so. maybe, although I think it has to the the um you know, the the downsides of whatever not having that living element in the meat have to be outweighed by the plus sides which are the antibiotics, the,
1: yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's a
0: lot of other, of of other things to consider. And and I don't know, that's an interesting question. And it definitely is going to take a little bit of a, a little bit of time for people to come around to the idea and start eating it. I think really what's going to be the big kicker is once it is economically more viable than the traditional way of consuming meat.
1: So, yeah, factory farming.
0: Yeah, so when you, when you, when it's cheaper to get clean meat that was grown in a lab that, you know, you can just have a couple steaks growing in your garage and then, like, you just go back there, you get a steak. You didn't have to pay for any of the, you know, or, or you know, whatever. I think at that point it's going to become the rural rather than the exception.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and I wasn't, earlier I wasn't trying to say that this would be better than, like, I wasn't saying that this would be worse than factory farmed meat. I just didn't know if it would be the same as like a hunted. Yeah, you know, the top of the line beef. Wild Alaskan
0: salmon or whatever.
1: There's no doubt that this would have a much more positive moral component to it. Yeah. Like you're doing good by one, not eating the um, animal that would have been, you know lived a terrible life, you're not contributing to that, and two, you're probably going to escape all of the antibiotics and all of the negatives that you get from factory farmed meat, and as a side effect, probably contribute to not creating a superbug, not contribute to all of the endless suffering that happens in factory farming. You know there's a lot of side effects that you don't see that are very positive. the whole
0: world. And I always always just go back to my same rule, which is if the animal is living a happier life, a life that has more happiness than sadness, then that's Mm. a good thing. Or if it's more sadness than happiness, then that's a bad thing. And I think what we're seeing in the world right now are a ton, billions of chickens, billions of cows, billions of pigs around the world who are having a worse life than whatever the baseline level would be for even you know suffering and happiness. And I think what we might see in the next 50 years when we transition into clean meat, is we see a much smaller number of animals. So mm-hmm. there's only going to be, you know, a, 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 hand, a couple handfuls of cows, chickens, pigs. But those animals are going to live incredibly great lives because if they swab these animals' DNA, to use for clean meat, they have an incentive to have the happiest possible cows
1: that yeah.
0: only have, like think about Kobe beef, but even better, like they're getting massaged, they're roaming in the fields, they're listening to, to Beethoven,
1: <laughs> eating, eating all the best grass.
0: Yeah. Cause, cause we have an incentive to keep these animals around so that we're at least still swabbing DNA of real cows that go through nature uh-huh. in the same way that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Yep. But I have a fun time thinking about these cows who are just living the life <laughs> 50 years from now. And when they're not even, you know, maybe we lab grow their milk too. And, you know, they're just um, basically frolicking in the fields and caring for their own and doing everything that any animal on this earth loves to do. I don't care if you're a human or a pig or a pterodactyl or whatever.
1: Yeah, dude. Have you heard of that comp- or the farm in... I think it's Virginia, just a little bit south of Washington D.C. I'm blanking on the name. Oh, Polyface, Polyface Farms. No, I haven't heard of it. Um, so, this is a—it's not lab-grown meat, but it's about the most ethical farming practice that you can possibly imagine. Hmm. Um, n- not too far behind, you know, the massaging and Beethoven right. for cattle. Um, but, but this farm, the the farmer was is a genius he's still around and he created this system like this little ecosystem in his farm so basically he moves his cattle every day so if they have this little um, let's say 10 acre parcel where they can roam and eat all the grass one day the very next day they'll move to an adjacent parcel with the very best grass like very tall and really healthy grass and Every single day, he'll move it to this new parcel. And let's say he has a hundred of these parcels mm-hmm. um, in the farm. Four days behind, where the when the cattle are roaming, chickens come around in those exact same parcels. So they eat all of the uh, maggots and everything in the feces of the cattle, and cl- basically clean up. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is they're kind of the end. Hosts, I forgot exactly what the term is, but basically most bacteria, especially E. coli and other um, important things that uh, we need to make sure cows don't have, uh, the chickens are basically the end zone for that, and they can't get past the chickens. The chickens Mm. just kind of digest all of that and clean up all the waste of the cattle, and then as a byproduct, they create eggs, very healthy eggs, because the chicken are eating exactly what they need to be eating. Right. Um, so it's just creating this system. And I think even behind the chicken, he has turkeys, which clean up everything that the chickens did. And then it's just this never-ending cycle where the grass is always super green. So if you think of an S-curve on – like in each of the parcels where the grass – is mm-hmm. if the cows eat it it goes down to the very bottom but then um if you let the grass grow for too long it kind of gets old and tapers off yeah. but he he aims to make sure that the cows eat all the grass kind of in the adolescent of the grass in the grass's lifetime so it's like the healthiest and has all of the uh nutrients and he said there's like 20 different species of grass, which is insanely positive and good for these cattle. It was just a really yeah. cool video that I saw him like walk through his practice. See, um, that's
0: great. I mean, getting more creative around how we grow our meat is the way to go. We can certainly get more creative than just putting a chicken in the smallest possible box and yeah. and, and not expecting anything bad to happen as a result of that. So I think as we go forward into the future of food, I think what we are gonna see is certainly in the more high-end rungs of society, we're going to see things like Kobe beef, things like the farm that you just mentioned. What was the name of that? A uh, Polyface Farms. Polyface Farms. And then I think at, for the mass market, so for people who are just earning enough money to start consuming meat on a regular basis, I believe we are going to see clean meat grown in a lab as the big solution there. And hopefully all of this is going to result in better conscious experiences for the greatest number of conscious beings Mm -hmm. and a healthier diet for everyone and lower environmental impact when as we're at this critical juncture, uh, where all of these are really coming to a head with population growth and, you know, rising incomes and everything like that.
1: Yeah, what do you think about these vertical farms where they're kind of moving these um, plant-growing uh, farms inside maybe a warehouse in the middle of Brooklyn? Oh, or, I think
0: that's great. I think getting any any time you can minimize the transportation gap where you mm. can just grow something in your backyard, I think that's always a good idea.
1: Yeah, that kind of goes back to the um, climate change thing you were talking about where we have all of these extreme environmental uh, events that basically wipe out some farmland. Let's say mm-hmm. down in uh, south Southeastern Asia and where there's a lot of things being grown. But if there's a big typhoon, it can wipe out a lot of stuff for a while.
0: Yeah, but, and, well not only that and with global warming, Huge areas within Africa specifically are going to no longer be farmable at all And a lot of these cultures have done nothing but farm for as long as their tradition has lasted Mm -hmm. So we're going to need to rethink the role of farming and How farming is done and how we can minimize transportation minimize suffering maximize the amount of production that is healthy and and can feed yeah. people so i actually i actually feel pretty good about where this this trend is heading i mean i i noticed in california just in the last couple of years we've had some really great ballot measures where it's increased the amount of space that animals have had it's uh, created better better environments for these animals to live and they were voted they were voted into law by an overwhelming majority. So I think people really do care about this issue. Mm -hmm. And I think tech uh, and governments are also stepping up to start to take this on. So I would just urge anyone listening to to be someone who always is advocating for the well-being of animals, whether you're a vegetarian or vegan or not. Uh, I think that's another common issue is that people are like oh well I eat meat so I don't give a shit but you don't have to be completely one side or the other you can be someone who eats meat who just wants animals to live happier lives than they are yeah. you know yeah. like,
1: you hear a lot of people um, this kind of that reminded me of uh, people having a negative view of hunters I mean I've I've never been hunting but I know a lot of hunters that actually work really hard for the meat and they don't eat meat otherwise they work hard to eat something that grew up in the wild and yeah. i think there's just like this weird movie caricature of what hunters are you know well, what you i see. mean i
0: think trophy hunters are are pretty despicable it's, yeah it's pretty especially if it's an endangered animal like a lion or an elephant or a, a giraffe like you know donald trump's yeah. sons but <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that that kind of brings up something though because that we could have a whole separate podcast of this like the future of conservation or something, mm-hmm. but basically These some of these tribes in Africa. That's the only way they make money Let's say elephant hunting is taking taking a rich white dude on an elephant hunt that maybe is a million extra dollars in their account like in their uh, village now if they don't have hunting what are they gonna do? Well, they're gonna start hunting and selling the ivory, so it's it's a very fine edge like it's not a black or white scenario, and I think you know I don't want to sit here and advocate for trophy hunting because I think just absolutely it's it's kind of a disgusting thing that people want to do it, but in the environment we're in today, it's not necessarily the worst thing because the the alternative is. People are going to, the tribes that are leading these hunts for lions or elephants are going to then go and kill everything because those animals now hold no value. And instead, they're trampling, you know, all of the farmland or anything else because they are relatively destructive creatures.
0: Well, I mean, frankly, I feel like these hunters need to learn to code or learn to play music <laughs> or do something else. Like, I mean, I get it. It's in their tradition for a long time, but who's advocating for the elephants? I mean, yeah, you know, we've, yeah, I mean, Lord knows would, we've destroyed the, so many of them already. And these are majestic creatures that have bigger brains than we do and communicate emotionally in ways that we can't comprehend. So, you know, I, I agree. People need to speak out for certain tribes and people that, that might, might not have as good of a lives as us humans do, but humans by and large have plenty of advocates already. I feel like it's animals that need the, the extra advocates. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I wasn't, again, I was not at all. Nobody mistake what I was saying with me advocating trophy hunting, because I think it's disgusting, but you know, no, I mean, as far as
0: hunting in general, I think that's a very good thing. I mean, my, My grandparents, they've got a house in Colorado and Frank is this old timer who hunts his own venison and cooks Mm -hmm. it, eats every part of it. I think that's great. I think Mm -hmm. there's too much of a disconnect between the meat that people eat and what actually has to happen for that animal to be served on Mm -hmm. the plate. Like Personally, I do not think it would be going too far to say that every meat eater needs to... Kill an animal once, just to yeah, know and a big
1: one, not like a squirrel or something small, like a like cow you need to or understand something. Understand what's happening,
0: and maybe you don't have to actually go out there and shoot it or slit its throat like you do in some of these coming of age cer. You know, like in Turkey, they they have that ceremony where once you become a man, you slice a goat's but a goat's neck, uh-huh. and I think that actually does sort of teach you what really happens. But even if it was something as simple as imagine if you had a smartphone, and in order to be like a registered meat eater, you had to just once press a button and see an animal get killed that was directly the result of you pressing that button. Uh I mean, I think that would turn a lot of people into into either vegetarians or just people who want to minimize suffering of animals.
1: Yeah. Have you seen anything about how much fish... Can suffer. I know crustaceans like scallops and um, mussels. I think there, um, clams tend, um, tend not to. But I was curious if you've seen anything about how much fish can suffer. It's something I've been curious about because I I believe they have a much um, less developed nervous system, which kind of implies they might not be able to experience as much pain. Which makes, you know, that makes me feel a little better about eating fish. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'd ever looked into that.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Although I have read Old Man in the Sea by Hemingway. And it was pretty tragic once that beautiful big fish with the shining scales gets killed, does its last death throes, and then turns the pallid white and loses all of its life. You know, think of some beautiful swordfish out there in the ocean swimming freely and then it just yeah. gets killed. I mean, I, I I think whenever we try to draw the line of saying, oh, these animals don't suffer, I think that's a bad place to go. I, I agree. I think it's true that as there are degrees to which animals can suffer. And I think fish probably can suffer to a lesser extent than a mm-hmm. chimpanzee. But I, I also feel like, All animals suffer. I think, even to a large extent, plants suffer. And if you, if you like carve your name into a tree, I don't think the tree likes that. And I don't think that's crazy (laughs) to say that a tree has likes and dislikes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I would be curious to see in the future, you know, what comes out about the consciousness of plants because it's clear that they react to their environment it's not just oh for
0: sure i mean there's the famous experiment where if you have two different mason jars full of sprouts or rice or whatever you put them in identical cabinets but one of the cabinets you only say good things to you say yeah plant you're doing great (laughs) you know sort of like the the massages in beethoven treatment and then Uh, with the other cabinet you just give it bad energy you say you know i hate you plant you're a bad (laughs) plant you know and and the like i swear this is a high school experiment that kids do all the time across america and the plant that has good vibes turns out to be a flourishing wonderful plant and the plant that had bad vibes gets stunted in its development so I, i mean what more proof do you need that plants are you know are (laughs) conscious and take in the energy that's around them and if it's true for plants it's true for every animal out there for sure
1: yeah that would be really fun to uh do as an experiment i wonder if there have any if there have been any like double blind studies where it's like i'm sure there could be like human bias that creeps up when you're yelling at these plants and like how how much light i don't know
0: yeah that would be a good experiment well, anyways, we, we urge anyone to do that experiment. Although, don't go too hard on that plant that's in the, the naughty cabinet because plants have feelings too and so do all animals. And
1: Yeah. Have hope... you looked at all into like cricket protein and stuff? That's one thing we haven't even touched on. Yeah. is The fact that cricket protein is one of the most sustainable, like per ounce, the most sustainable forms of protein that we can make. Right. As long, I mean, lab-grown is probably going to blow that out of the water once it's economically viable. But
0: yeah, I'm, well, let me put it this way: I think if we don't adopt clean meat, then we are going to be eating crickets in the year twenty-one hundred.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, totally I, I mean, agree.
0: personally, I, I maybe it's a cultural thing. I can't get out of the grossness factor. I have once had a cricket in the form of a lollipop. And it was pretty gross. Where was that? That was at a national park. I think it was Yosemite. Okay. But um, it makes me think of Snowpiercer. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. So Snowpiercer is this movie where it's after the apocalypse. So it's after climate change has turned the entire world into a frozen tundra. And all that's left of, of humanity is on this train called Snowpiercer. That goes around and around the earth really fast to generate oh, its own Oh, I have heard
1: it. Yep, I have. And seen basically, actually.
0: Their whole, the whole human society is divided up by the carts of the train. So, in the back cart of the train, it's the people that are the lowest levels of society, and all they eat are these protein bars that are nasty. And then you find out at the end that they were all like all the bugs were basically ground up into these protein bars. And as you go further to the front of the train, you have like much more luxurious things. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't want to have to eat crickets. I mean, I haven't given it a fair shot, so I don't want to want to rip on it. But I would much rather eat a lab grown, um, you know, sirloin steak than.
1: Oh, yeah. Speaking of snow piercer, what do you think? We, I think we should get into, like, the worst case, best case, and most likely.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: What do you think about the worst case? I know you kind of mentioned that we may well, be eating crickets.
0: Well, I think the worst case is that some countries are hit so hard by the lack of food, but I think water is going to be actually bigger than food maybe more
1: pressing
0: more pressing so i think we're going to see a lot of wars especially in areas like the middle east where there's are already so many disputes over who owns what river and if you are along some river that you know there are other countries that depend on that river but because you're by the top of the river you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want and It's no skin off your back. Other people are going to have dirtier water, less water, um, water that has antibiotics. So I think we're going to see a a lot of wars and disputes around water. And I think there are going to be some disputes around food. But I mean, just keeping it strictly to food, I think the worst case scenario is basically that we continue along the factory farming line. And it only expands even further to feed the additional 4 billion or, you know, 3 billion people that are uh, going to come around by 2050. So it creates a much more suffering and people aren't even really healthier because it still has all of the same issues. And I guess if we're talking actual worst case, like the worst possible case, even if it might not be yeah. as likely, yeah, I think we could see a superbug as a result of this. And it could wipe out two thirds of the world
1: yeah, I mean it there's a lot of things that we aren't prepared for, and a superbug that's resistant to antibiotics and you know you can't get vaccinated for that's obviously yeah. a problem yeah i would I would say something very, very similar to that i mean it it's very easy to think of a worst case scenario when it comes to food and overpopulation. And, you know, the, the amount of suffering that can possibly take place when trying to feed all these people. Um, but if we were to talk about the best or what were you going to say?
0: Yeah, no, no, let's go best case.
1: Yeah. Cause if, if we think about the best case, I think there are some positive trends right now too. Like there's a trend that everyone is not everyone, but. The fact that Whole Foods is a very popular store now where it used to be like just this, only the rich people went to Whole Foods or only the rich people went to Trader Joe's. I mean, even Walmart now has huge organic sections. it The market is reacting to customer demands. And that's what I love to see. I love to see when the public actually wants something that's good for society. And I see, I think um, there's a lot of things going in terms of people wanting the healthiest food for themselves which means they're going to start thinking on the next level what is the most ethical and then once this is economically viable to get very healthy real food then maybe the next step is the lab grown meats and yeah. we can have we can have then so if i were to just like give you a snapshot of the best case it would be a bunch of lab grown meat but it would be healthy you know, lab grown meat that has been tested and can compete with good, you know, regular grass fed organic meat. Um, but I would also like to see a lot of vertical farms that kind of free up land to just be prairie land or to be forests. And let's like regrow some of our forests back and yeah. bring some of our food production into cities. So one of the things that I hate about big food is the supply chain. You don't see most produce for a couple weeks. Yeah. And well, most, I read so one
0: stat that said if you get an apple from the supermarket, there's a good chance that apple is more than a year old since it's been picked off the tree. Because they really? I didn't know it was that bad. Oh, yeah, it's bad. I mean, they basically freeze the apples – specifically because apples keep for a long time and then they'll just like thaw them out like right as they actually get to the supermarket but it's not like you're eating something i mean unless it says like locally grown and in season yeah it's probably you know very old
1: yeah but if you have these vertical farms you your supply chain is so short you can walk down to your farm and pick whatever you want or just order like instead of going to the grocery store for produce maybe you go to a big warehouse, like the farm, quote unquote, where they go and pick your food for you right there and then. Yeah. And, you know, that would be such an awesome thing. You can just go to these, this farm that has all of your meat, all of your, um, all of your vegetables and your produce. And that's it. I mean, you you can just do that and then you're done. And the supply chain, you know, we don't need to waste a whole bunch of energy Getting it from one place to another, and it'll be easier and cheaper for people to actually access because the cost of all of that extra stuff to transport the food isn't priced into these different um, these different uh, items of food.
0: Yeah, totally. So, uh, you want to hear my best case? Yeah. So, have you heard of the? Hardburger Park Land Bridge in San Antonio, Texas? No. So basically this land bridge, so they realized that they were cutting off the transportation routes of animals by building these highways. Oh, okay. We have, I know what you're talking Yeah, so we have highways all over America. And when you think about a highway, it's a death trap for any animal that's trying to live out its life in the wild. If you're a bear, you need a lot of area to be able to roam around. And by creating land bridges, these bears can still roam around from one forest to another without having to worry about getting hit by a car. So my future scenario, that's the best case scenario, would be extrapolating out this system to the furthest extent. So already with Elon Musk's boring company, He has made the case for transporting ourselves underground in three-dimensional space, many different levels below the ground versus this two-dimensional highway system that we have today. So imagine if we took that even further where there are no streets, no highways anywhere on the surface of the earth. Instead, it's like we're on the Garden of Eden where there's land, there's animals roaming around, there's farms. There's amazing, cool office buildings and bungalow houses that have trees yeah. built into them and waterfall features and and all the transportation happens underground. You know, maybe we still have like some skyscrapers that have gardens on on top of them and yeah, you know, or, or of this green walls, green walls. Yeah, vines coming up the sides, but. But that would be my utopia. That would be my best case scenario. And the animals that are on the surface of the earth, some of them can be protected, like the national park systems. Some of them can be in hunting preserves where these animals live great, happy lives, and then you know they're they're uh, eaten, in, in, which is more healthy than having animals that have suffered their whole lives. And then if you just want the cheapest possible, healthiest meat. Then you get the lab-grown version. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, another, you know, when you have a baby, I haven't had a baby, but this is what I (laughs) hear, is that the first thing you do is you put up pictures of giraffes and elephants and lions all over the room. You have the nice little animals that dangle from the sky and they play with them. Why do we do this for babies? It's because we're introducing them to what else is here on Earth. We're saying, look, here we are. Here we are the animals and creatures of the world and we're here to teach you about these animals and introduce you into all of all of the creatures that made it onto Noah's ark if you know if you yeah. believe in that story or even just like it for its own yeah. instructive purposes. And if we can go back to a system where we have these animals living freely around us and it's not just you know a man and a dog on mars struggling out for survival but we actually keep some other animals around that's the best case scenario
1: yeah i mean that that was taken to the extreme and i love every second of it that <laughs> sounds like an amazing world
0: and then the most likely is definitely in the middle i think it's i think the lab grown meat is going to happen regardless because i think the economics are going to prove that it's the, just the cheaper option and it has other benefits. I don't, I don't think the land bridge, you know, kumbaya scenario is as likely. Although I also don't think it's impossible. And I think it may very well happen in at least certain areas of the world.
1: Yeah. That's kind of where I, I typically go with this is some parts of the world are going to approximate our best case scenario. Some parts of the world are going to approximate our worst case scenario so if i were to say some countries i was i'm scared about being in the worst case scenario i would in india comes to mind because of overpopulation Mm -hmm. um or if we're talking best case scenario let's say norway or new zealand come to mind oh yeah you know where it's just especially new zealand because it's an island it doesn't have to deal with all of the crap that other countries are doing you know it doesn't you don't have to worry about who's upstream and putting something in your water. You, the only thing that really affects New Zealand is the ocean, and mm-hmm. you know, and climate and stuff. But any like ocean pollution is the big one. Um, ocean acidification, you know, there's a lot of okay, you know, there are some, there are a lot of things that still affect New We're Zealand. We're all living
0: on the same planet, so no yeah. one is totally safe, but yeah, a, you know, if you are safer, if you're situated where New Zealand is.
1: Yeah, or or um, Switzerland is always a you know a, a utopia type of country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think America because,
0: too has has. Uh, I mean, we have more national parks. Yeah, than any I'm, other country. I'm like partially
1: I optimistic and partially pessimistic about the U.S. I would say that if I were to choose, like you know, somewhere on the scale we are, I would say we're like a little on the positive side, but we have a lot of farmland that's like we have. Monsanto was developed here. We, you know, the the standard American diet is here. There's yeah. there's a lot of really bad things in terms of food and diet and agriculture in the U.S. But again, we see those positive trends, which I, yeah. I'm hoping, which I'm hoping are economically viable and can put these factory farms out of business because I think they're disgusting. I saw. Did I tell you I saw one on the way back? Uh, when I road trip back from LA no, in, in Kansas, I saw one. It was, it was terrible. I mean, you, it almost looked like there was a storm cloud overhead right when I passed it. It was just like the worst vibe I ever got from, you know, driving next to something on the highway.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. And, but one, and then, you know, just to end it on a positive note, One other new development that does give me lots of optimism and hope. I don't know if you saw this, but Bill Gates just came out like a week ago with his breakthrough energy fund, where what he does, it's so brilliant because he's not saying what's going to happen, but he has a system for getting better, which is he lays out very clearly what the main contributors are to climate change. And then he highlights startups that are doing the best job at solving those those specific issues. So he's basically putting the spotlight on the startups that are doing the best job at solving the most important issues for climate change. And he's allowing investor money, private money, and some public money to be funneled into these companies so that they can have an amplified effect on how much good they can create in the world. So I have faith in the private sector more than the public sector. But (laughs) overall, I I have a lot of faith that humanity will at least figure out. I mean, not everyone's going to be fine all of the time, but I think we are moving in a good direction, at least from what I've seen most recently.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's this one company started by uh, Kimball Musk, Elon Musk's little brother, or maybe big brother. I don't know his brother. Uh-huh. Um but it's called square roots where he's working with um entrepreneurs uh and they're basically trying to be startup farmers in urban areas. So it's oh. basically getting the repurposing these old shipping containers to be vertical farms and it's kind of like a startup incubator for these urban farmers. So I thought that was kind of a cool company too. I know there's a there's a lot of good trends.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't
1: want to get. It's really depressing sometimes to think about factory farming. Think about and, the status quo. Yeah, it, it's just really. I think kind of like there's that uh, human bias where the the bad outweighs the good by like five to one. But yeah. if you really objectively sit back and think about it, you know, like you said, there's a lot of positive things. So you're right. There's, I am optimistic about the future of even the u.s
0: yeah well i think that's a good place to
1: end it we are all gonna yeah agreed. To talk so thank you
0: everyone Every for listening day. this has been the future of food we're gonna talk about
1: what has happened and yeah, we hope to what is currently happening and what will inevitably happen the past the present and the future our is